Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you again for your faithfulness, for your loving kindness. We thank you for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ, even as brothers and sisters uh, living on this planet. Uh, We ask you that you would uh, speak to our souls today as we, as your disciples, continue to mature in our faith on a daily basis. Lord, help us not uh, to be of the sorts in which we know it all, but help us to be of the sorts to which we are thirsting for more of you, Lord, thirsting for more of your word. We ask you that you would fill us up and that you would transform us constantly into the image of Christ, that in which you've called us to. So, Lord God, have your way with us today. Open every heart, open every mind to your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul now bridges the previous section. Remember we talked about last time, about how a believer is to Live like a citizen of heaven on earth. How? By being unified and and not fearing uh, what others have to say or even the persecution that may come upon us in Christ. Paul says, do this in order to complete his joy. But uh, in return, we as believers also receive joy. But we do this as we unify our hearts and our minds together. The same mind, the same love, and on one accord there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So there is nothing like having everyone locked together in unity, moving lockstep. Uh, with the same purpose and of the same mindset. And one of those things that helps in our unity is humility, humbleness. I must admit to you that when I looked, at, looked up some of the definitions of humble, uh, I didn't quite like it. I didn't quite like what it said that this is how you define the word humble. And by defining humble, that should define us. Well, some make sense, and some are okay. Like, who wouldn't be okay with not being proud or not being arrogant? Oh, I like that one. What about this one? Having a feeling of insignificance inferiority, subservience. What about low in rank, low in importance, or low in status? I don't quite like those as much as the others. But I especially like the idea 
of the definition of humbleness when it's talking about somebody else. I love the fact that uh, when it says not to be proud or not to be arrogant, that it's talking about you and not me. I love the fact that when you're talking about uh, humbleness, uh, a subservience type of, of living or being low in rank, because you see, if you're low in rank, then maybe I would be a little bit higher. Is that humbleness? How about you? Are you okay with those definitions? It may be time for God's Word to speak into our lives, especially if we're struggling with some of those definitions because even Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Disciples, if you are a disciple of Christ, you are supposed to be lower than your teacher. So if you are lower than your teacher, can you wash the feet of someone else? I'm not saying that that's the definition of humbleness, but what I'm saying that this is what our Lord and Master did, that he washed the feet of the disciples. You see, at that time, uh, disciples were always lower than their masters. Disciples were always lower than their rabbi. And it would be unheard of, unthought of, uh, the fact that a high-standing rabbi or teacher or anyone else would stoop as low uh, in order to wash the feet of his own disciples. Are you better or more important than Jesus? Here's one way to tell. Would you come and wash my feet? Some say it depends on whether or not if you shower today. Would you wash the feet of someone who's standing on the corner that you don't know? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And the way I'm going to present this message to you today, I'm going to present this message in three phrases. And then when we get to the end, you are to take those three phrases and link them together, and that's going to be your one word for today, or your one message from God today. Here's the first phrase. Look out for the interests of others for the sake of Christian unity. Look out for the interests of others for the sake of Christian unity. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But 
In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, believers who are interested in unity within the body of Christ are not self-centered. The Lord knows that over the course of my Christian life that I've ran into plenty of people who call themselves Christians who were into the, uh, into the church scene only for themselves. From musicians that would say, the only reason I would go to church is only to get paid. Or uh, for some, uh, that I, some men I've heard say that I'm going to church because I'm going to snag me a good woman. Or those that come to church because they want to be all that they can be in God's army, so they are looking for titles. This is now a common story today. The fact that uh, people are interested in what they can get out of it, this self-centeredness, that this has been on the increase since the beginning of time, since the fall of Adam and Eve. And as I've said it before, and now many have realized that uh, what you see portrayed of others on the Internet or in social media in particular, is often not the full story of the individual. So in other words, when you see the stories of the, uh, the folks that are saying that they are looking out for themselves uh, in the Internet world, don't believe everything that you see. It's like going to a hoarder's home. Have you ever been to a hoarder's home before? I have. Remember years ago, we had uh, paid a, a visit down south, we used to go uh, down to Alabama every single, every single spring break. Uh, one spring break, we had gone down to Alabama, and we had stopped over to one of my father's cousin's house. Uh, uh, so we went to their house, and I'm looking on the outside, I'm like, okay, well, typical southern house, I said to myself. But lo and behold, once you went on the inside, it was hoarder's heaven. Everything on the outside looks relatively normal. But the moment that you step inside, uh, you realize that uh, there is a reality of the dysfunction uh, that was going on. Looking at God's Word, we see two descriptors of what not to be in the body of Christ. And they are selfish and conceited. You are not to be selfish or conceited in the body of Christ. In fact, uh, the fall, that time in which Adam and Eve disobeyed God, uh, that it unleashed a cornucopia of selfishness on earth as everything became all about me, 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 and no one else. Eve took of the apple because she listened to the wrong voice and thought it would satisfy her. Adam, in turn, did the same thing. And then when God came down to bring them into account, uh, Adam said, no, it wasn't me, it was her. In other words, take the attention off of me this time, uh, because I don't want to be punished. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The Apostle John says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So in other words, if you are not humble, if you are prideful, if you are conceited, uh, that means that all that you are in your character, that does not come from God. That comes from the world. He goes on to say, he says, look out for the interests of others. Look out for somebody else for a change. Now, I know it's easy uh, that sometimes uh, that when we think of looking out for others, oftentimes we think about looking out after our relatives. What about those who are not our relatives? But I know some of you have objections because you have gone through some tough times and you now are finally able to be that person you are destined to be. Uh, so therefore, uh, I need to look out after me for a change. For myself. Okay, let's deal with that. God's word uh, never tells us to, do not, to deny who we are as believers or as human beings. But then you say, well, wait a minute. Uh, I remember uh, Jesus saying that, should he say we need to deny ourselves or something like that? Yeah, of course. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross or her cross daily and Follow me. In other words, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must deny those things that are contrary to following him, like sinning or placing your allegiance in things or people over him. See, that was what uh, these individuals were going through. And they're saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I'm only going to follow you to a degree. You know people like that? That all they want to do, uh, they get, give Jesus really good lip service. But then when it's time to follow him, to do the things that you don't want to do, all of a sudden it's, uh, let me pray on that one. But as long as I can do what I want to do, as long as I, this thing is working out for me, then I will follow Jesus. But as soon as Jesus tells me to be humble, uh, let me pray about it. As soon as Jesus tells me to look out for the interests of somebody else other than yourself, oh, I need to pray about that one. But at the end of the day, you still get to be who you are. Except a better version. Because if we were left to ourselves without the check of the Holy Spirit, uh, the worst of who we are will come to the surface. You ever notice that in people? That oftentimes what, what happens in them when they don't allow the Holy Spirit to come into their life, that the very worst of who they are, it comes to the surface? Listen carefully. We see today a term that has come into void, void, vogue. 
within the last two years. The last two years is, is a term that's always been around, but it's, uh, uh, I'm hearing it more and more. And that term is amorality. Or amorality. It has crept into our social, our work, and our political language. Amoral is not having a sense of right or wrong. In other words, you just don't know. That's what they say. Versus being immoral, which means you know the difference between right and wrong, but you just choose to do wrong. So my question to you is, uh, is there really a difference between the two? Someone who simply doesn't know. But I submit to you that God has written on our hearts this aspect of morality. Why? Because human beings have been made in the image of God. Don't be fooled. Anyone that says that they are, or they are amoral, don't be fooled. They know the difference between right and wrong. According to what has been written on their hearts by God. So this is why it's important to have Jesus speak directly to us because he offers light in place of darkness uh, that wants to rule over us. You see, it is the darkness of the demonic realm uh, that wants to take hold of us uh, in order to reject all the light, all the good, all the good things that come from God. Jesus' transformative work offers an option to the let-me-be-me syndrome, which threatens to destroy not only us, but also destroy any hint of unity or humility in us. But this is hard to do, considering we need to place others ahead of ourselves. It's hard sometimes placing other folks ahead of ourselves. How do we make this happen when our tendencies always seem to passionately surface when we want something badly? You know what happens when you want something bad enough, then all the raw emotions, they come bubbling up from the inside of us. Then it's no longer about them, it's all about me. Larry Osborne says, operate according to your calling and not your potential. Listen carefully now. He says, operate according to your calling and not your potential. I need to say that one more time because uh, this is too important. He says, operate according to your calling and not your what? Potential. Uh, but I hear you in your mind, fighting against that statement. You see, we all have potential to do whatever we want to do. Would you not agree? I want to be a fireman. Let me be a fireman. I want to be the president of the United States. Let me go and put my mind to it, go to school, uh, uh, network, and do all the things I need to do, uh, be in office and try to run to become president of the United States. We all have potential to do an uh, endless amount of things. Your potential says that, you know, I can be a successful business person. But somehow, 
people are always offering you a job as a teacher. But you say, you know, I need to be an entrepreneur. But people are always coming to you saying, you know what, can you teach my child? You say, no, I, I don't want to do that. So in the meantime, what you're doing as you're fighting to get to that potential, you are putting a back seat to your calling. You see, uh, when you know what your calling is, uh, nothing can stop you. You see, when God has called you, he will make a way. You hear what I'm saying? When God calls you to something, God will make a way, and you never have to worry about closed doors. But you see, when we're talking, I have a potential to do this, I have a potential to do that, and then every time we go forward, a door closes shut. We walk through for a period of time, then it's closed shut. We can understand, oh God, oh God, why aren't the doors opening up? And we're praying and we're praying, I want to be a business entrepreneur, and the door is not opening up. God, God, in the meantime, our calling is going neglected. So we are become so concerned about our potential, then what happens is we start mowing down everyone in our way that we could care less about anyone else because it's all about me, myself, and, uh, and I, all about my potential. But God said, I never called you to that. God says, I never called you. I called you to become a teacher. And every time I, I put a student in your way, you said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be an entrepreneur. Then God says, here's another student. Nope, don't want to do that. I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur. Next thing you know, you're 70 years old and you've never had a chance to walk in your calling in God. Never putting the interests of others ahead of yourself. At the end of the day, when your passion wanes for your business, because eventually you get tired your passion wanes for your business. Your teaching still emerges unscathed because that is who God has called you to be. So if God calls you to a ministry, if God calls you to a, a, a job, or God calls you to a person. You know, I, I remember uh, that my wife and I, we got married relatively quickly from me not knowing her at all to the time that we, uh, well, that I decided I was going to marry her, right? It was in the span of three months. As a matter of fact, I knew her on the very first day that I met her. I knew that I was going to marry her. And I tried getting out of it, too. I'm like, you know what? This is crazy. I'm, I'm too young to be getting married, right? I was 40 years old. No, I was 20 something years old, 21, 22 years old, however old I was, right? But I knew that God had called this woman to me. How many stories have I heard? Oh, God has sent this man to me. This is my boo, and the Lord is all in it until the Lord is not all in it. You see, either God calls or he doesn't call. God's calling is without what, does the scripture say? Without repentance. Latent inside every believer is a call to place others ahead of ourselves. This is the Christian way. 
If this is not your way, someone has told you wrong. This is what it means to live as a Christian, uh, to put others ahead of yourself. This is the way of Jesus, and if you are going to be like him, you must be like-minded in prioritizing other people. So the first phrase is, look out for the interests of others for the sake of Christian unity. If we're going to be unified within the body of Christ, care about what's going on in the life of somebody else. Amen? Number two, because Christ humbled himself by sacrificing his life for us. Because Christ humbled himself by sacrificing his life for us. So look out for the interests of others for the sake of Christian unity because Christ humbled himself by sacrificing his life for us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, as you know, humility means to be like Jesus. Again, God's word tells us to be like Jesus and to have the same mind that he had. Uh, but I know some of you uh, would insist you are not like Jesus, so therefore I'm not going to try to be like him because he's perfect, so I'm not going to humble myself. Well, I certainly understand those sentiments. I, I get what you're saying because who uh, can, 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 can measure up to Jesus Christ, the perfect one? But that is no excuse for not maturing in your faith. So think about how you are for a moment. Some of you fly off the handle so easy. While others, you're patient. But listen to what I'm saying. You're patient because you just don't care. You just don't care. You have had it and you will no longer put up with other folks who don't care even. See, sometimes these things, they go hidden. It looks like one thing, but God is clear. God is discerning. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But isn't this exactly what Jesus had to deal with? Isn't this what sent him to the cross? Didn't Jesus have to deal with people who cared less about others and cared even less about him? Jesus could have said at any moment, and he could have been right by saying that. Uh, he could have uh, given it all up. He could have said, okay, instead of saying to tell us die, it is finished, my work is done, I have sacrificed myself on behalf of every human being on earth. If they believe in me, they will have a relationship with God. Uh, instead of saying that to tell us die, he could have said, okay, if that's the way you're going to be, then to hell you're going to go. 
but he didn't. Jesus could have said, go to hell, and not meaning as a curse word. Jesus could have said, go to hell, and you could have gone where? To hell. Even while the scorpion's whip was thrashing at him, even while the blood was streaming down his head from the crown of thorns, even as his nails was uh, dripping in blood and as his feet had been crushed by the giant nail that was holding him up, even after they had stabbed him in the side with the spear, Jesus could have said, okay, you want to be that way? Then I'm going to assign you to hell. But he waited patiently. And Jesus revealed himself to us, anticipating our final acknowledgement of him as Savior and ourselves as sinner. Could you have done that? I know I couldn't have done that. Even I recall Stephen. Oh, when they were killing him, and he says, forgive them, they know not what they do. I wonder about myself. I have to be honest. I don't know about you. I wonder about myself. So we are to look to Jesus who showed a level of humility not seen in anyone. So Jesus Christ, he displayed remar remarkable Humility, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I know some of you have been waiting on that passage, haven't you? This right here begins our passage, what we call the kenosis passage. Kenosis passage, that's the word comes out of here. And kenosis basically means to empty. So if we're looking at that passage, verse 6, it says, who, though he was in the form of God, uh, did not count equality with the thing of God uh, to be grasped, verse 7, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant. What did Jesus Christ empty himself of? First, verse 6 tells us that Jesus was in the form of God but didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, what does that mean and does that even matter? Uh, it, it does matter, so let us drill down on its meaning for a second. Jesus, as the Son of God, was in the form of God, which means he is God with all of God's attributes and privileges. So Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. When it says, in the form of God, that's the word morphe, which tells us that he had all the power, he had the will, he had the mind, he had the sovereignty of God. Again, Jesus is God, the Son of God. Remember, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is God, Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God. So Jesus had all the attributes and all the privileges of the divine God. But as a son, God takes the form of human flesh, 
in order to sacrifice and care for the human race, all while maintaining his position as God the Son and also his relationship with God the Father. This was necessary because the blood of bulls and goats uh, could never uh, remove sin. Remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4? Hebrews 10, 4? It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. So then why they, were they doing it day in and day out and once a year? Why were they doing it? Because what it would do, it would basically uh, cover that sin for a period of time. But priest after priest after priest and animal after animal and after animal went into the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle being sacrificed over and over again, but yet uh, the end result is they had to keep doing it. So the form of God is another way of telling us that Jesus is God. So uh, 6b in that passage, it tells us that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Equality with God refers to Jesus again as God along with all the attributes and characteristics without any diminishing, any diminution of them. If you have been studying theology with me, you know that Jesus has all the attributes of God and because of that, it makes him God. We know this to be true. But our passage goes on to say that he didn't count that equality with God as something to be grasped. What does that mean? This means it's something to be seized or to held, uh, to be held as a point of leverage. In other words, uh, one equivalency would simply be this. Right? You're driving along in your car on the street, and then a uh, 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 police stop you for, for speed, and you know you already got two speed tickets. And you know, man, if you get stopped this time, you're in big trouble, right? So they stop you anyway. You know you're in trouble. And uh, the officer sir, can I have, or lady, uh, can I have your license and your registration? You provide that to them. They say, you were speeding. And then they come back and they say, looks like I'm going to have to take you in. And uh, can you imagine the person saying, do you know who I am? You know who I am? Because they think just because being a judge or a governor, a senator or another police officer, they figure that the thought of them getting entangled in the legal issue with a fellow comrade, right, that that would take them off, bring them off the hook. And then if that doesn't work, then they drop a name. Well, I know the chief of police. They're my best friend. Right? You see, there you're using the leverage to get yourself off the hook. Uh, so Jesus, uh, when it says here, uh, did not count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't use his title as God to get himself off of the hook. When they were about to crucify him, he could have said, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I can call a thousand times, ten thousand times, ten thousand angels to come down here and wipe all of you all off the face of the earth? But he didn't. He did not use the title, his real title, his position or his power as God, uh, as leverage against the human race. 
Well, Jesus already, he had that power, did he not? He had the authority. But again, uh, this thing to be grasped is like him holding on uh, to his scepter, saying that I am king, leave me alone. So he chose not to exercise his total godness in order to come to earth and to minister on our behalf. Remember, what we needed was not to have our sins covered, but to have them done away with. Jesus did not exploit his title, but instead he used his humility to help us who are weaker. Verse 7, God's word says Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Here, again, this is basically saying the same thing that was said before uh, in, in a roundabout way. We would call this almost like uh, a, a synonymous, uh, almost like synonymous parallelism or something or, or of, of a source, but it's uh, uh, the, the same thing that's basically being said. It's definitely parallelism. But empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he emptied himself. He did not empty himself of his godness. He emptied himself of his prerogative of deciding whether or not to use his power to get out of the situation. He decided not to use the fullness of who he is in order to stop those who would eventually murder him. That was the point. And this is where we call Jesus the God-man. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. And no, Jesus is not 50% God and 50% man, because there, he's just half of both. He's 100% God and 100% man. So he came to earth, and he decided not to utilize all of his attributes as God. He still, he still had them. You see, if... if if Jesus emptied himself of any of the characteristics, any of the attributes of God, do you not know he would no longer be God? One thing uh, of God that he refuses to have uh, that, that's in his character, he's no longer God. So again, listen to me. By emptying himself, it emphasizes a second time him not accessing the fullness of the God of his godness while walking on earth as a person as he headed to the cross. So he was going to the cross he, because he had ministry to do. And heading to the cross, it focuses also on his humanity. And this is where the next verse picks up, verse 8. Humbleness is a prerequisite to obedience. Are you humble? Are you humble? If a person is not humble, then there is an air of arrogance, pride, and egotism that comes into the picture. Jesus had to accept what was not his fault. Jesus had to face death because of us. You see, it is often our premise that we will do whatever we need to do as long as it benefits us. Sure, we talk about sacrifice, but when it's time to sacrifice, we balk about it. Being crucified was not the desire. This is not what Jesus wanted to do. When he was thinking about in and through his humanity, this is not what Jesus wanted to do. 
Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Jesus didn't want to die on a cross. This is not what he wanted to do within his humanity. No. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the point when Jesus knew the cross was getting really close and said, this is not what I want to do in my humanity, but nevertheless, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. When was the last time you did exactly what God called you to do? As a matter of fact, think about right now. Let's see. What is God calling you to? Humility. Humility. Someone says one of the greatest ways to help yourself with humility is to serve someone to whom you have a prejudice against. That's hard. He's calling you and I to obey his word today about humility. You see, easily we can fall back on this is how I feel and this is what I think. No, 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 no. This is how I feel. This is what I think. But God says, humility, humility. No, but this is how I feel. But God said, no, my child, listen to me. Humility, not pride. Humility, not arrogance. But you don't know what they have done to me. Jesus says, what did they do to me? Could you say to God today, Father, remove this cup of trouble from me. But please, not what I want, what you want. Could you pray that today? Remove this trouble from me, God. I don't want it. I don't deserve it. But uh, not what I want, but what you want. like for you to think of a tough situation you may be going through right now. You probably already know what you want to do, but my question is, is it what Jesus wants you to do? And then, ask yourself, will my decision cause me to violate God's word in any way? See, there are some things that God doesn't need to give you an answer to because he's already told you in his word. You're smart people, and many of you know of the Lord, but that can be problematic because you can know more than what you're willing to put into practice. For instance, most of you uh, know you need to save money for many things, but the question is, do you actually do it? This is the case where, well, I know about CDs, I know about IRAs, I know about money markets, saving accounts, stocks and bonds, and all the little tricks and traps. I know about all that stuff, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't put it to practice. When will you actually do something about it? Why does Paul tell us about Jesus Christ and his humbleness at the cross to the point of literal death? Because it goes back to what he said in Philippians 2, verse 4. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The moment you start talking about my emotions, the moment you start talking about my desires, and the moment you start talking about how I feel, and the moment you start talking about me and me and me, and me for change, then you know it is wrapped up in selfish ambition and also conceitedness. Final phrase. And was exalted for his faithfulness above all things in heaven and on earth. Again, and was exalted for his faithfulness above all things in heaven and on earth. So the full phrase is, Look out for the interests of others for the sake of Christian unity because Christ humbled himself by sacrificing his life for us and was exalted for his faithfulness above all things in heaven and on earth. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ was exalted. Christ will always be exalted. If we were to view this as a reward, we would see Jesus being honored for his obedience because of his faithfulness. The point I believe Paul is trying to make is that if Jesus was exalted because of, of his obedience, then we too will also be rewarded for our obedience. You're going to be rewarded for your humbleness. God is going to re recognize your humility. Now, I know some of you say, I don't want to wait till I get to heaven before I receive what I got coming to me. Well, you keep on acting up and you're going to get what you got coming to you, all right? But isn't that the very point about trusting the Lord? You don't always get everything God promised you at the moment. But we hold on to an expectancy about his faithfulness. We know the exaltation in heaven and on earth, that, that it happens. But this passage tells us it was after him, after Jesus putting others ahead of himself. Uh, so in other words, you're not going to get your reward, right? Uh, most people, except in my house sometimes, don't get dessert until after dinner. Jesus, in this context, was exalted after he was humbled. So God will reward you in due time for your humbleness. Will you humble yourself today? Or would you rather wait until Jesus places you in a situation where you'll be humbled against your will? Choose you this day who you will serve. Let's pray.